we're looking at, but we're going to be going through Judges, book of Judges, chapter 13 through to 16. So you can turn your Bibles there and um, we'll kind of work our way through some of the scriptures there in just a moment. But um, as I set myself up here, but you know that we're doing a series on spiritual warfare and I've been richly blessed by it so far and I've been feeling inspired by the Spirit as I uh, come to study the Word and when I preach the Word and just sense that God is speaking to us because there's just so much that's contained within the Scriptures for our instruction. And so as we begin to dig into these things, we begin to, uh, to see uh, such wonderful and glorious truth that we can learn immensely from in order that we can uh, seek to avoid to make those same mistakes. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, these issues are very uh, important for us to learn from. So um, we're going to be looking specifically this morning at a particular character in the Bible, which I think we're all familiar with. Now, last time we looked at Gideon, and, um, and there's other characters that we could identify throughout the book of Judges, but I think the, um, the most obvious one that we're probably going to be familiar with is um, Samson. Samson, the story of Samson. And so we will see this morning that there is great spiritual truth for us to draw from these particular scriptures. And so it's fair to say that Israel, as we're seeing in the book of Judges, is going around, so to speak, in circles. You begin to read uh, about their history and uh, all of a sudden they're, they're right with God, they're calling upon God, they've got victory and then all of a sudden... Uh, they go down, they turn away from God, they go into idolatry, they come into oppression, God, they cry out to God and God raises up a deliverer and then all of a sudden from there they come back up again and it goes up and down. And so there's a, this pattern that we see throughout Scripture. Now that pattern is obviously uh, a personal one in which it relates to us as the church and it relates to us as individuals. So in the corporate and individual sense, we can identify with these truths. They, they speak in various ways. Now, you remember last time we looked at Gideon, you may recall that we noted the fact that uh, as Israel went into idolatry, that God sold them into slavery or oppression, the Bible says, for seven years. And then they cried out to God. And you have the story of Gideon. But now in the story of Samson, we find that Israel has numerous times now in the process has uh, gone again into idolatry, disobeyed God, and now they find themselves in, under oppression for 40 years. 40 years. So not seven, but 40. And I think there's something in that uh, that teaches us that the more we disobey God in our lives the harder our hearts get and the greater God has to work in order to humble us and to bring us to the place of brokenness and submission and humility before him as we cry out to him. 
And so again, in Israel, we see human nature, and this is us. And so uh, we can again realize that uh, here's Israel now. For 40 years, the enemy, the Philistines in this instance, have gained an ascendancy over the nation. And, you know, you'd think after seven years they would have cried out to God, right? But no, 40 years it took until they said, we've had enough of this. And then, finally, they cracked. And God works. And so there's so much that we can draw out of the story of Samson. There is. There's just so much as I was looking at and I'm, and I'm thinking, Lord, what, where can I focus and narrow in uh, on these things? And again, we're looking at spiritual warfare. So that has to be the governing factor uh, that keeps us in that vein. So, so we want to look at it in that context. But there are a number of things that we want to look at. And so we're looking at spiritual warfare and when we look at Gideon, and when we look at the story of Samson, remember last time we noted the issue of brokenness when Gideon uh, went out with um, the, the clay jar with the light in it and the trumpet in one hand? So they went out and they had to break that jar and we talked about brokenness. Well, we're going to see again this morning the element of brokenness because victory always comes, amen, when we're at that place where we are broken before the Lord, where God has his way in us, where he prevails upon us, and we finally say, "What? yes, Lord, and we're willing to submit to him. So we'll keep those thoughts in, in there as we proceed this morning. Now, when we speak of Samson... I mean, there's people here that grew up and went to Sunday school. I didn't have that opportunity. And so, but um, you would have heard about Samson, right? All you Sunday school people that came through Sunday school, you would have heard about Samson. Now, I don't know in this instance, but let me ask a question. When you, when you learned about Samson, did you see a picture of Samson with big muscles? Yeah, well, that's not Samson. <laughs> okay. That's not Samson. We get this picture about Samson that somehow he's like the Hulk, you know. He's just bulging and, um, and somehow he has this strength. But Samson in himself had no strength. His strength was a supernatural strength. And uh, he was just an ordinary man, really. He, had a, he, he was uh, in, in, in his calling, he was uh, obviously appointed by God and will identify these things, but in and of himself, he was just an ordinary man, just like Gideon was and others we find in the scripture. And so when we think of Samson this morning, I want you to think of just an ordinary man that God had called, that God had set apart, that God had empowered uh, to fulfill a purpose to defeat and destroy the enemies of God. And again, when we think about that, we see that God has called us as his people to engage in spiritual warfare and to engage in spiritual battle and to have victory. Again, the principle is obvious. So let me put this out as well, if you know the story of Samson. Is there failure in Samson's life? There is. There's profound failure. But let me ask you this question. Is Samson's life a failure? No. If you read the book of Hebrews, he's mentioned in there in the Heroes of Faith. 
It mentions Sam, Gideon, Samson. So when we look at Samson's life, we do see profound failure. But we see also, as we consider it this morning, that in light of the overall plan and purpose of God for his life, he did in the end fulfill it. And in doing so, it was an act of faith on his part, and he, um, and he prevailed. And so God noted him in the Heroes of Faith of Hebrews 11. So therefore, he has something to teach us this morning, something for us to learn. And like I said, Samson was a man chosen by God for a supernatural purpose, to deliver Israel. And if you know Samson's life, again, I'm not going to read the text, but I just need to lay this foundation and talk about it so we have an understanding. But remember, uh, the the circumstances of Samson's birth are quite profound because, remember, Israel is oppressed and he has his parents. He's not yet born, but the angel of the Lord appears to his mother and uh, his father. And uh, so, therefore, Samson is actually announced that he's going to be born and by the angel of the Lord. Again, notice the angel of the Lord is all over the place here in the Old Testament and throughout, especially throughout the book of Judges. This is, again, Christ manifesting himself uh, and speaking to them. And in doing so, they make a statement that, they, that they're going to bear a son and that they are to, uh, he's to take the vow of a Nazarite. He's to be separated from, from the womb. He's going to be set apart. He has a, God has a plan and a purpose for his life. Uh, and he's going to take on upon himself the vow of a Nazarite. And he's going to live according to that vow over the course of his life and in the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for him. Now, the Nazarite vow in and of itself was really where one separated themselves entirely unto God. They were not to drink wine. Uh, they were not to cut their hair, hence his long hair. Um, they were not to touch dead bodies or eat anything unclean. So there was a call to separation and consecration that related to the vow of the Nazarite. And so this is something that the angel of the Lord emphasizes and that uh, um, Samson's parents are to implement, and that Samson himself is to abide by. Now, the name Samson means sunshine. Sunshine. And so when you think about that, I think the, uh, the, the emphasis is quite obvious. The light in the midst of the darkness is such in which... Uh, that Israel is under the oppression and that Samson is going to be used by God in such a way to bring light and deliverance to the people of Israel. And so this is the nature of Samson's life. And so here he is, he's born. He would have grown up with an intimate understanding of his calling and of the experiences of of his family and the angel of the Lord. So he would have knew that he was set apart. He would have identified the fact that, you know what, God has his hand upon me. And so he knew who God was. He knew God. He knew about the, uh, the vow of separation of the Nazarite that he was to live by and abide by. He was instructed in these things. He knew that he was a chosen vessel of the Lord, that he had, God had a plan and purpose for him. And as he grew up, he began to identify with the Lord's power in his life. 
Because the Bible tells us that at various points, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And so he began to identify this supernatural power that was at work in him. So he didn't need to go out to the gym to build up those muscles. He knew he had the Spirit of God that was upon him. And so when you think about Samson in that context, it draws our attention this morning to the fact that you and I, we are born again. We are partakers of the divine nature. And does not the Christian this morning bear the same marks, in a sense, of Samson? We're born of the Spirit. The Bible talks about that we've been uh, chosen, that we are separated. We are to be consecrated. We are to be filled with the Spirit, that we in Jesus' name have power and authority over the enemy. And so again, we find these similarities when we look at Samson's life and who he was and he, what he was born into the natural. Well, we are in the, in the supernatural. We are in the spiritual this morning uh, and we are to operate in that spiritual realm, in that supernatural power as Christians over the enemy. And so this was Samson's position related to his natural life, and this is the Christian's position as it relates to one who is born again and is in Christ. Now, you might say, oh, I don't fully understand that. That's okay. But that is our inheritance. That is our position. This is something that we are, we are, we are born into this, and then we grow into the knowledge of it as we are instructed and taught by the Lord. Now, the question I want to put forward is what well, we know that Samson had this supernatural strength. But a question I want to see, he was asked is, what was the secret of Samson's great strength? Well, we know it wasn't his physique. And some will say, well, you know, when you know the story of Samson, you'll say, well, it was his hair. Because after Delilah, um, you know, discovered the strength of his power and he confessed and said, you know what, I've been a Nazarite from the, from the womb and... You know, no razor has ever come upon my head. And so she said, he's told me his whole heart, come this time, this time. And now you'll know the story. This is like the third time, each time, or fourth time, each time Samson's got up and just, you know, killed them and just broken free from anything that they've tried to bind him with. But in this instance, at this moment, you know the story, Samson gets up and he says, I'll just do as I did before. And the Bible says that, uh, well, she shaved, she put him to sleep, Delilah, she shaved his head, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, and he got up and he thought he'd just do it, but the Lord had left him. Now, was that because he got his hair cut? Is that why he lost his power? It's part, it's, in a sense, it's part of it, but there's something far deeper at work, which we will identify a little later. But there are two areas that I want to identify that lie in Samson's great strength. One is he had the promise of God in his life. He had the promise of the Lord that had ordained him, that had called him, that had promised him uh, this. And so this promise was active in his life. And then there was the second aspect uh, that related to his life, and that was the power of the Lord. That was the other secret of his strength, the supernatural power of God at work in his life. And as it was pointed out, uh, in, as I studied this, one of the, the, the promise of the Lord was uh, unconditional in the sense that this is Samson. He has been called by God and identified for this very purpose. 
But the second uh, source of his strength was conditional. If he was going to operate in the power of the Lord, then he had to uh, bear with those conditions, and especially that which related to the vow of the Nazarite. Because that was part, that was in the whole, not just his hair, we'll see that. But uh, these were the things that made him distinguished, separated, and gave him that distinction and that power to operate in and through his life. He had a consecrated and dedicated lifestyle that empowered him to live in that way. If you read the story of Samson, in fact, you'll go, if, you, if you go to uh, in, in chapter 14, it talks about how he, he finds a Philistine wife, and we won't go into the de- details of that, but there comes a point where he goes with his father and his mother in verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah, Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So here's here's, here's, um, Samson, I guess, in in, in the private, private life, in his private life as such, obeying God, and, uh, as, uh, and in doing so, the Bible talks about a lion that just comes out of the road and jumps on him and he grabs the lion and, he, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and that supernatural power kicks in and he just tears the lion apart. It's pretty powerful, right? And so when we look at that, we can again, the Bible tells us of one in Scripture. Who's the roaring lion of Scripture? Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And at this point in time, the the, the lion launches and attacks um, Samson and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he just overpowers him completely and destroys him. You see, we have power. The Bible tells us uh, in in, uh, Peter, it says, submit to, or James, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So in other words, when you are submitted to God, you have the authority, you have power to resist. And in resisting, and when that lion strikes, as we're told through Peter, uh, Satan comes like a roaring lion. When he does launch, uh, we have the ability, amen, to resist him and be steadfast and stand in that evil day. And in doing so, he flees from us, amen? Now, this is a fact in Scripture. We're not trying to be boastful. We're not out there blowing our trumpet. We're just acknowledging the reality of who we are in Christ and the authority that we do have and how that is enacted. But you see, Samson, in light of all of this, he loses his way. And just like Israel lost its way, as we're identifying just like we as Christians lose our way, just like the church in, over its, the course of its history over 2,000 years has lost its way. This is the, the nature of things. And so what is the real... So let me ask the next question. What is the real reason for Samson's weakness when he ultimately does uh, lose the, the, the strength and power of the Lord in his life? Because there came a time in Samson's life where he thought and he took for granted God's power that was, would come upon him and that would work through him. And there came a day where he just thought, you know what, I'll just do as I usually do. And he got up 
thinking that God was with him. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And he was defeated by his enemies. So what was the real reason that he lost his power or his weak, he, he, uh, of his real weakness? So you know the story of Samson and Delilah. And you'll be familiar with the fact that uh, Delilah... Uh, is, is trying to find, you know, the, her lords have told her, you know, the Philistines, that, you know, find out where the strength of his power lies so that we can defeat him. And so Delilah, you know, he had a, he had a problem with women. That's another issue uh, that we find in Samson's life. But uh, you've got to be real careful there. But nevertheless, that is the reality. You can, you can trace some of these things and see. So here it is, Delilah is there and she's... Uh, she's um, uh, uh, trying to find out the source of his strength and how so that they can defeat him. And three times he tells her, you do this and, uh, and then, you know, you, you'll, I'll be like any other man. And so they tie, his, they bind his hands with ropes and, and so forth. And each time he just breaks free and he just kills all those that come upon him. But you see, then there's an instance in the Bible talks about where Delilah comes to him and she says, you know what, Samson? Three times you have mocked me. You've told me lies. You told me that this was the source of your strength, that this is where your weakness lies, and, and each time you've, you've, uh, you've, you've, you've made a fool of me. The Bible says that she, she pressed him and pressed him and pressed him, and then she vexed his soul. And then all of a sudden he just got so frustrated with the circumstances that the Bible says that he responds to, and he tells her all of his heart. And then for the first time Delilah says to the Philistines, I know the secret of his power. And so you know the story that night she, she lulls him to sleep and uh, all of a sudden while he's asleep there she shaves the locks of his, the hair of his head and, um, and then all of a sudden she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he gets up and he thinks I'm just going to do this as before but he's powerless and they, they come upon him. Let's read it together. I want you to go to um, verse 15 of, cha uh, of chapter 14. So she says to him in verse 15, But it came to pass on the seventh day, that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? And is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed the riddle to... Oh, no, that's not the one. It is... <laughs> I mean, let's go now to um, chapter 16. Sorry, church. I was in the wrong chapter. Well, it sounded like it, didn't it? <laughs> Too many women in his life. All right, let's go over the verse 15. Ah, here we go. Okay. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? When your heart is, uh, you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words. And pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. 
that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like, and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines and saying, Come up here once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. What a lovely woman. And uh, his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. You see, was it his hair that was the secret of his strength? Well, obviously the, his hair was the last straw in order that God said that's an, enough is enough. There's no doubt about that. But it goes deeper than that. His hair was symbolic of the vow and so forth. But you see, it was the day, for, for Samson, it was the day that the last distinguishing factor of his consecration and dedication to God was gone. That's the day he lost his power. Because if you look at, at Samson's life, you'll, you'll see it's a contradiction and it's compromise. And he's already in previous occasions violated the Nazarite vow, but still operating within the power of God that's upon him. But here it is at this point of time. God said enough is enough. And so when that's why the Bible says that uh, he told, uh, Samson told her all his heart. This is the sin. His heart now had departed from God. And so God said, now my spirit will depart from you. And that's where he, the key to him losing his power and where we find it in the scripture. Yes, it relates to that last element of his hair being, being shorn and cut away. But then we have this issue. And here we have Samson was one who took for granted his position and his power. Because, you know, if you read the story of Samson, you'll find that there, you know, we talk about the lion where he killed and tore that lion apart. Well, you know, later he went and um, as he was going back and returning back home from Timnah, that he saw the lion and there was honey in the carcass of the lion. And he thought, hmm, I'm going to have some of that. So he went and took the, the honey out of the carcass of the lion and ate it and gave some to his, pa to his parents, but he didn't tell them. There was a violation of, God's, of the Nazarite vow there. Why didn't God leave him then? You see, it was a process. He'd compromised, he'd violated the terms and his separation to God and over time. And so when he got to this point where he told Delilah all of his heart and the last distinguishing factor of his consecration and separation to God was his hair. When his hair got cut, that, that's when God said, that's it. Enough was enough. And he paid a severe, severe price he abused the power that God had given him. He thought it was there just to get him out of trouble when he got himself into trouble. Or if the women in his life were just vexing him, you know, he would just you know, um, call upon God and 
God was working in the midst of this, though, I must confess, if you read it. But nevertheless, there was this dual element at work, which in the end cost him severely. And so when you look at Samson's life, this is exactly what was going on with Israel, wasn't it? Israel, God says, you, your enemies won't be able to stand against you. You have power, dominion, authority. And yet, but if you disobey me, what did God say? You won't be able to stand against your enemy. You'll lose your power, which is my power at work in your midst. So here it is, Israel, Samson. The same can be talked about in church history. If you study church, the church history and the moves of God and then the compromise and the corruption and all of those things, then the revivals that come forth because God brings and raises up men to bring deliverance to the church. And, so, and even in our own lives this morning, this is the pattern. This is the reality of the pattern of our lives. And uh, we are like Israel. We're like these. And we find ourselves at various stages in life. And here was Samson. He was at a point where his supernatural strength was God. And on that evil day, when we're called to stand against the enemy in Ephesians, Samson was unable to do so. And when we are compromised, when we are not obeying God, when we are not honouring him by living a life that is separated, consecrated and holy, then we too will lose the power that is promised to us, that is rightfully ours. But that power, if you're going to operate in that power and walk in that power, then it's conditional. You're going to have to obey God. Walk in the Spirit. And so... Israel failed, Samson failed, the church fails, we fail. The Bible tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, can the Spirit of God depart? Well, the Spirit of God departed Ichabod, it departed from the temple. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, if you read the letters, and we're about to study the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the churches, if they didn't repent and get right with, with the Lord, then the God would remo- Jesus said, I'll remove that lampstand from your midst. In other words, the Spirit of God will depart. And so this is what we're seeing. Just as it happened with Israel, just as it happened with Samson, just as it happened with the church, just so it happens in our own lives. And the enemy prevails. And look at the consequences in Samson's life this morning because they're horrific. Look at verse 21. It says, Then the Philistines took him and put out, this is Samson, and put out his eyes. They plucked his eyes out. Could you imagine that? Imagine getting your eyes plucked out and then pop it up, boom, I'm gone. I mean, this is serious. They plucked his eyes out. I know, I'm being gruesome. But I want you to identify with the human element to understand the spiritual reality. They plucked his eyes out and they brought him down to Gaza in verse 21. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. So he's got fetters and chains on his hands and feet and he's walking around the grinder in a circle, just grinding. And he's bound. In bronze fetters, which is a sign bronze of God's judgment upon his life and his discipline because of his disobedience. His eyes have been plucked out. Could you imagine Samson in this moment? He's known nothing else his whole life. 
He was born. I was destined. Don't you know who I am? And yet here he is in this place. Terrific. And so God help us, church, because this is what the, the devil does to the church. This is what the devil does to the Christian who doesn't take serious the things of God's word, his instruction and his call to obedience and to separation and to consecration. You know what happens? You lose your spiritual sight. The devil will pluck your spiritual eyes out and you will become blind. You'll read the scriptures and you'll have no idea what's going. You'll be ignorant of, of spiritual reality. You'll be ignorant of spiritual truth. You'll just be a carnal person and you'll just be fodder for the devil. That's harsh, Pastor Gary, but that's what the Bible's teaching us, is it not? And am I just expounding to you what the Scripture's telling us? You know, I, <clears throat> and I, I share this. There's only one time in my whole life in 30 years where I've, I can say I had a vision from God. One vision. But I know it was a vision, and I know it was from the Lord. I remember specifically at a point in my life where I was grappling with things in the Scripture and I was beginning to see things that was tr troubling me. And I remember crying out to God in prayer, praying one morning, and as I sat there praying to God, all of a sudden I, my mind just, just had this vision. You know? And in, at, at this moment of time, I didn't have too much pizza, okay? It was, as I was, my mind, a crow flew and landed on my head and plucked out my eye. And then, and then I was like, Ugh. and then another crow on my head and plucked out my left eye. And I remember just in that moment having a sense of distress, like it was almost real. And I'm in prayer. I'm praying. So this is like, you know, I don't think of those things normally, Okay. It just—it wasn't my mind being overactive. This was God because directly after that, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, the enemy wants to pluck your spiritual eyes out. The crow represents the devil, right? The raven. And so I understood and I began to realize and I gained a confidence in that because God was showing me things and beginning to open my understanding spiritually and the enemy wanted to steal that away from me. And if I was to, if I had turned away from God, if I had walked in disobedience, then yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. But this is how it works. And here's Samson, he's lost his power and the enemy has plucked out his eyes. And this is what happens to Christians. And you know what? Christians, for the most part, think they're okay. They think, okay, I'm all right. I mean, think about the church at Laodicea. Here it is. They, they're, 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 they're boasting that they are, they are rich. They're boasting that they are, uh, have, 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 um, have plentiful. They're boasting. And yet Jesus speaks to them. And he tells them that they are poor, miserable, and they are blind. Their eyes have been plucked out and they don't even know it. Spiritually, they think that everything's fine. I'm okay with the Lord. Lord's with me. Praise God. Uh, we got everything with it. Yeah, praise the Lord. And yet God says Jesus' assessment is something different. They're spiritually blind. And notice Jesus, in, as he instructs them later, he says, go and get eyesalve. And put it on your eyes that you may be healed. 
In other words, God's saying, if you repent and get right, I'll restore your vision. I'll enable you to see the Spirit. I'll enable you to see things as they really are. And it's to that church, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. In other words, they think they've got the Lord. They don't even know the Lord's not even there. He's on the outside. And so this is the sad state of the church at large today. And it's the sad state of individual lives as we examine ourselves before the Lord this morning. And so we can see here how significant this is. You see, this is a sad and terrible state for the Christian to be in. Look at Samson. His name is Sunshine. And the sun ain't shining. He's in a place of darkness, a place of despair. He's bound. He's got no eyes. He's bound in fetters. He's grinding the mill. You can imagine the darkness and the oppression of the enemy. The Bible tells us that the enemies of God are rejoicing. They are rejoicing. They are mocking him. They are celebrating uh, uh, his demise because they said, you know what, Samson, your God is weak. Look at, look at us. We've got you. We've destroyed you. You're bound. You're in our hands. And they made light of him and they mocked him and they mocked God because they interpreted Dagon, their God, as being superior to the, to the God. That's what happens when, we, when our testimony before the world is not as it should. You know, people, I'm a Christian, and then the world looks at us and they go, you're a Christian? <laughs> what kind of a Christian are you? Because you're spirit, you don't realise you're spiritually blind. But the, the world sees and knows what a Christian should, shouldn't be doing. True? So no, no longer the sun is shining in Samson. It's not meant to be this way, church. This is not what God intended. In spiritual warfare, this is not what God has for us. But it can be the reality. And none of us, none of us are exempt from it. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. But you know, the story of Samson is not over. The story of Samson this morning is not over. It continues. Look at verse 22. It tells us about the Philistines and they put out his eyes and they t- they've taken him down and bound him in bronze. Look at verse 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Why did God put that in there? Because at that moment in time, you could imagine the horror that has come over Samson and he realises what he has done, what has happened. And so in that place of, of, of being absolutely humbled and humiliated, he's at that point, the Bible makes the emphasis, his hair began to grow. In other words, it wasn't the end. But God was going to do a work in Samson. God was going to work in the midst of that failure. Immense failure as it was. But you see, God had a plan and a purpose. And this is how the Lord works. 
You see, Samson was a broken man, but his hair began to grow. He knows that he's failed God miserably. And I think of Samson, and we could talk about so many examples in the Bible. But think about Peter, for example. Peter, you know, he says, I'll never deny you, Lord. Not me. (laughs) Everyone else, no, not me, Lord. No way. And yet, you know the story. He denies him. He denies the Lord three times. And Peter is absolutely humiliated. The Bible says he went and he wept bitterly. Oh, God, I failed. I have failed. This is the same spirit that's in Samson right now. They have, they've weeping, they've wept, they're weeping bitterly of their failure before the Lord. But God wasn't done with Peter either. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter, that what? Your faith would not fail. Samson's at this point, it looks all over. But there's the reason why he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. So, You have in this moment, the Philistines interpret the whole situation and think, you know what? Our God is great. The Philistines are rejoicing and they're continually mocking and celebrating the defeat and demise of uh, of Samson. Even so, they take it upon themselves to uh, uh, organise a particular sacrifice to their gods or to their god Dagon, the Bible says, and they want to, and all the lords of the Philistines, everyone's coming together, and they're going to have a major feast and a celebration. And they say, you know what? Hey, let's just make this a little bit better. Let's bring Samson out and put him before us, and let's just mock him. Let's just laugh. Let's get the word. The Bible says, let's get Samson to perform for us. And in other words, they're saying that we want Samson to stand there and we can all laugh at him because he's going to entertain. What an entertainment. We can just laugh and mock and celebrate and rejoice and just look and, and gloat in our defeat of Samson and the weakness of his God. So this is spiritual warfare, church. We're in the midst of it. But the enemy thinks he's triumphed, just like he thought he did at the cross. Oh, but then the Bible says, oh, he, defeat, he triumphed over every principality and power. He made a public spectacle of the spiritual hosts of wickedness. And, that's, and we see that throughout the Bible. We see it then and we'll see it again because God always wins. Can you say amen? You see... They called this feast. And they said, let Samson perform for us, meaning that we can laugh at him. And can you picture Samson standing there? He can't see. He's bound in fetters. He can't, he can't break free because he's got no power. And he's utterly humiliated. And the Bible tells us that his hair began to grow again. Can you just imagine? He'd had time to reflect He's had time to ponder. He's had time to pray. He's had time, I'm, I'm sure he's got right with God in the process of that, saying, Lord, I have failed you. I repent. And he made confession of his sin before God, no doubt. But he's still bearing those consequences. But it's in that place that we see him pray a prayer that reveals his faith in God. Look at verse 
Let's read from verse... Well, actually, let's read from verse 23. Now, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, and they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry... And they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who had held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars, which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death was more than he had killed in his life. Hallelujah. Think about that. God, he prays to God. And he says, God, just one last time. And there's lots in this. I just want to highlight a couple of things, so bear with me, church. But here is Samson, and he prays to God, and God responds to him, and he empowers him with that supernatural power, and he gets those temple pillars that are holding up the whole structure, and he pushes, and they collapse, and the whole thing collapses, and they're all killed, and they die. And there's a victory. More died that day, the Bible says, than he, than he killed in his whole life. There's another aspect that I want to focus on in a minute where it says, he says in verse 30, let me die. You see, there are a few things I want to identify about spiritual warfare, power and authority. I want to highlight just a couple of scriptures. Go with me to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. And you have, and again, I just want to, pointed out so that we can see what's going on and we can see this as a pattern in scripture Psalm 35 verse 16 and so you know it's a psalm of David and again he's running and he's fighting with his enemies and he says in verse 16 he says with ungodly mockers at feasts they gnashed at me with their teeth Sounds like exactly what was happening to, get, uh, to Samson, doesn't it? Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions. Notice again, the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. Let them not rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. Now think about that. 
because it runs parallel to what's happening here. And the enemy, when we've, when we've failed God, when we have stuffed up, the enemy uh, is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to uh, uh, you know, show how much of a failure we are, just how weak and miserable, how much we've disobeyed God. But you see, and the enemy wants to rejoice over our failings and our sin. But you see, God wants to restore. God wants to bring victory. And David understands this, and in doing so, he understands God's power and God's victory. And this is how God comes on the scene. Look at Psalm, he identifies this again in Psalm 18. Go to Psalm 18, verse 3. This is, uh, uh, the Psalm says, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Calling upon God, amen? When you're on your knees, that's when we, when we, in our weakness, that's when we access God's power and strength. Verse four, the pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the, listen, then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry and smoke went up from his nostrils and a devouring fire from his mouth. I'll leave it there. You get the picture. Well, God, God will triumph over his enemies. They might think for a fleeting moment that they have the ascendancy or that they have a victory, but you know, God is the ultimate one that will prevail and will win. And, this, and he does it. And isn't it interesting? He does it through Samson in this instance, one who has failed. He does it through Peter, one who denied him. And so this, again, we always talk about the Christian life. And what is it that we say? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Because I tell you, in, in, in your, over the longevity of your Christian life, let's be honest, we all fail God. We've all sinned against God in various ways. We all know that we haven't obeyed the Lord as we ought to. But you see, in brokenness, as we come before him and call upon him, you can be restored and renewed and you can be empowered again. Amen? And this is what Samson's doing, he's crying out. See, when we're at that place of brokenness, it's only then that we can be entrusted with true power. Amen? Only then, when you come to that place of brokenness and weakness in your human strength, an effort, and you cry out to God, I tell you, God never lets us down, church. Never. So Sam Samson cries out and he, he prays, Lord, help me. And I note the words that I mentioned before. He says, let me die. You see, that's where God wants to bring us each to. You know, your life is not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do, you, do we really understand what that means? Paul the Apostle said, for me to live is Christ. Can we say that? Because that is profound. We can use it as a cliche, but when it comes down to the reality of life, this is really serious. For me to live 
is Christ. It's no longer I. The Bible says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith. See, this is what it's all about. Not my will, but your will. See, I I say it again. It's when we get to this place in our lives where we say, let me die. God says, you know what? They're the words I wanted to hear. In your weakness, when you come to the end yourself, then God says, now, now my power can can become real in your circumstance. Now my power can kick in and activate. And you can operate, not in your own power, but in my power. You can struggle against sin and always say, like Paul, say, oh, I'm not going to sin again. You can make all your resolutions and then, you know what, you fail again and again and again until you learn to appropriate the, the power that comes through Christ, through his grace, so that you can have power over sin. Not in your own strength, not in your own willpower, not in your own resolve. Every time you walk according to that, you'll fall flat in your face. But when you appropriate God's power, we live in victory. That's what the scripture is telling us. And so, again, have you ever said those words? God, let me die. Because I tell you, Samson wouldn't have said that earlier, would he? He's too busy enjoying himself. You know, he's a Christian and he's enjoying the world at the same time. <laughs> let me die. What is it for? I'm living. Praise God. God's good. You've got no idea what you're doing or what you're saying. Your thinking is not spiritual. It's carnal. Because when you start to speak like Samson learned to speak, and you know what? We don't just learn it. This is not Christianese. You know how you, you learn to say, let me die, not because you are scaling always the mountains, because you've, God has brought you low and he has broken you and he's brought you to the place of humility and submission where you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to die. What do you want me to do? Are you following me this morning? And so Samson glorifies God in his death. And you know, remember the name Samson means sunshine. And that sun, the, the, the sun shone again. Amen? And his death, when he said, let me die, it wasn't a time of darkness. It wasn't a time of defeat. It was a time of glorious victory because God triumphed over his enemies. And in, in his death, God accomplished it. And if, that, if my death gives glory to God, then so be it. Amen. We win. So we have to learn the secret of true spiritual power this morning. And we need to ask ourselves these questions. Are our lives being lived out in faith to God? As we've just mentioned. Are our lives being lived out in consecration, separation, and dedication to God? In Hebrews 12, it talks about God's chastisement and says that we are to yield the the peaceable fruit of righteousness because if you don't, the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So in other words, this has got to do with you living in the fullness of God's power and blessing and light of life in your life because if you are not walking in holiness 
if you are not living a consecrated and dedicated life to God, how can you know the power of God in your life? It's a contradiction. And God will, you, you might operate in it for a season, but each time you're going to get to a point where the Spirit of the Lord will leave you and you didn't even know it. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, this is what Samson did while his eyes were plucked out and he was bound in bronze fetters. This is what we need to do in our own lives as instructed by the scripture. And again, you can read the scriptures at the end of chapter 6 which talk about being not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Come out and be separate, says the Lord. Because you were promised, you were born of God, you're a child of God, you must be distinguishable. Don't be uh, joined together with the world. That's what the scripture's telling us. And then it says this, the Bible says, come out from among them, says the Lord, and I will receive you. What do you mean? Did you leave them? What, what is it that, that's at work here? Because there's no power that's operating. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises. We've got the promises, church. Just like Samson did. Let us. But, there, but in terms of walking in that power, it's conditional. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, if we're going to walk in this power that is ours in Christ, because we, we are in him, born in him, then it's conditional. You can't live a life of disobedience and compromise and not live a, a consecrated and dedicated life. How can you walk in power if you don't pray? Do you have a prayer life? Do you read your Bible? How can you walk in power if you don't know your scripture? How can you know? How? You can't. Because it's only as you walk with the Lord and as you read his word and as you gain, and then you gain the power and then you learn how to use the sword of the spirit and you learn how to walk in victory so that on that day you can stand and having done all to stand. What does the Bible say? Season 6.10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This, the same power that was on Samson. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans, Paul says, dwells in us. Do we know that power? And so compromise and sin and disobedience, unfaithfulness, prayerlessness, seek, uh, not seeking God and all of these things will cost us dearly and cause us to fail. But I tell you this morning, the hair on your head can begin to grow. There's hope. All you've got to do is just get before God and confess your sin and repent and, and obey God in your life. It's that simple. And God will work in your life. And so, remember we're talking about spiritual warfare this morning. And sometimes we need spiritual breakthrough, amen? Spiritual power to live in spiritual victory because we're in a war, folks. 
And let's not forget that. And Samson's life teaches us that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. Again, Lord, for your word, which is so rich in revelation and instruction. Lord God, as I, as I stand here, God speaking these words, Lord, I'm not immune, Lord, from that which is written and that which is spoken. God, we all must examine ourselves. We all must consider our ways. We all must, Lord, consecrate and separate and dedicate our lives entirely and wholeheartedly for, to you because, Lord, that's what you expect. That we would die, take up our cross, pre pre present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord God, I pray that we would see this truth. And more than that, Lord, we would begin to live it and experience it and walk in the power of your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you all this morning.